0: Wag staff. I am a life coach who ended a 20-year relationship with alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. In this podcast, we will explore my revolutionary approach to quitting alcohol that breaks all the rules. Amazing stories from women who are throwing a better party because of it and how you can stop drinking and start living. This show is not a substitute for rehabilitation, medical treatment, or advice, so please talk to a health professional if your alcohol consumption is a risk to your mental or physical health. Now on with the show. Hello, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here for another episode. I couldn't be more thrilled To have be showcasing this interview, it was when I was really excited to get out. Um, It has kind of blown my view of sobriety wide open. You know, one of the reasons I started this show was to have a wider representation of of what it means to live an alcohol free life that it's not just about hitting rock bottom, it's not just about not drinking, but about living into a full authenticity and getting to really know yourself and something that I had never really considered it wasn't in my framework um, and of course my work is open to everyone but what is representation of black and brown women um, and then you know we could go beyond of of underrepresented peep- people but um, that's what this episode, Highlights. It's an amazing interview of a beautiful journey, sacred journey of a woman, Katie Olagoke, who is the founder of the Sober Black Girls Club. So please check out her work. Her Instagram is amazing. She has a whole community where she has a holistic approach to helping make sure that the women that she's working with know that they have access to resources beyond what is just there. So she's a, an amazing advocate, she's a lawyer. Um, She's inspired me and, um, you know, I'm helping support her community to make sure that sobriety doesn't just look like one person. Um, And yeah, I think you'll get so much out of this. And what this episode really exemplifies to me is that there's just kind of this underlying framework that when you become sober, and this was my experience, I, and I've probably talked about this, was I wanted to know what else didn't I know? What else was I wrong about? What else was I missing? And that really was my white privilege around my sobriety. I I do believe that I did see things in my life based on being white or being able to be unapologetic for showing up Um you know, in the world and, you know, without excuses. And I think that, that that is challenging when when the idea of sobriety isn't even represented anywhere in your community. And so for me saying, you know, what else don't I know? How else? How else can I be of service in this world? And how else am I not being in service because of the white privilege that I don't see, or you know what else, what else, whatever else it is, but but really trying to make sure that that supporting women through sobriety is represent re- representative of everyone of Black women, and so Katie Katie's work is really amplifying that cause and I am hopes here to support to amplify it further by whoever's listening and to just know that holistic wellness is for everyone um, and to just really blow the idea of all the stigmas of sobriety and wellness um, out of the water but to also be to also bring awareness to the fact that you know why? People um, turn to drugs and alcohol in the first place is different, is systemic, right? So we have to look at that too so we can get to the root cause of the thoughts and the problems that are being created um, around worth, around lack, around, you know, authenticity in which which Katie talks about, about this, about perfection and needing to represent yourself in a certain way. Um, and yeah, it's just super powerful. Katie, thank you so much. And everyone, enjoy the show. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: You. I love how you focus on spirituality and self um, so I'm
0: really happy to be here and sorry I've had the noise before I oh no you're fine well this is real life <laughs> all the listeners know this is real life um, yes thank you for saying that and I think one of the biggest things that really attracted me to you when I when I saw your Instagram and um, uh, was your really your holistic approach to supporting, so um, to, to supporting the women that you're serving and like not in understanding that it's not just about sobriety but that that alcohol really has in, been interwoven into our entire lives and when we start to rewrite that story it really we realize how much it shows up into everything but you know during this COVID time how you're supporting women and children through food needs and also the mission of starting with sober curious too because I feel like so much of the time that can be you know so sober people are so excited about just being sober that we want to tell everyone but I find that in some communities it can be really preachy um and kind of push people away and that's what I really liked about um about what you're doing with your work can you tell me a little bit about really what the mission of sober black girls I mean you said that it was to really engage um with um black and brown women in the sober community but what do you really what what was your inspiration for starting it
1: great question so in 2018 i believe when i created Sober black Lives club my life at that point was like literally in shambles um i graduated from law school in 2017 and i at that time i moved back to new york city i got my own apartment my own um you know, I had, I basically had had a full-time job, apartment, my car, me and my ex had broken up, we were dating, we dated for about six years, and I thought that I was starting, like, this new chapter in my life, and really, as soon as I moved back to New York, I became depressed, because I was so used to, but I spent the last, I mean, 20, the last 20 years of my life you know, going to school, having like three jobs at one time, being in a sorority, um, being the president of this, being the president of that, that now that I'm an adult, me just going to work nine to five, coming home was depressing. I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel like um, special like I I once did. And in realization through therapy that I realized that I, that's, that's the outcome of living in white supremacy. When um, you always, when you're that one black girl in your law school class, when you're that one black girl who keeps on getting awards, you you kind of want to keep up that momentum because you, you want the recognition from people that you think that matters. And at that time I had very low self-esteem. And I didn't know I had low, low self-esteem because you know, you know, I, I find myself very attractive and very smart. Um, I thought that my life is together and really it was very shallow. Um, so that basically led to my downfall and to me uh drinking like every day i um was drinking every day and so i moved back to new york 2017 i think in like september let's say october i was drinking every day um uh after work i was calling out a lot from work i was in bed just eating i was truly really depressed like like full-blown just depressed um and it, I thought that it would get better. I thought that if I just pressed on, things would magically change. But nothing changed. And nothing changed because I wasn't doing anything to change my situation. Um, so in 2018, I remember it was a Halloween party. And I got into an argument with my um, best friend. And my, this is 2018 now. So I already lost my apartment. I lost my job. Um, I didn't have a car anymore. So I was back home already. Like I was back home with my parents. Um, and we got, I got into an argument and I was just, I felt so defeated. Like I don't have anyone, but I had to look at my own actions and see like what I was doing and how I was contributing to the life that I had at that moment. So I remember I went online because that's what I do. Um, I love social media. I'm a big social media person. I went online and I started to look for, Sober profiles, blogs, accounts, and they were really all, um, I'm gonna say just white. Like it was just like white profiles um, talking about yoga, drinking coffee, like just making sobriety look like it was a luxury. And for me at this point, sobriety was a matter of like life and death because I really didn't feel like life was worth living anymore. And I told myself like if 2019 was gonna be like 2017 and 18, I didn't want no parts because I was truly miserable and alone. And I just couldn't get with the whole, um, yes, sobriety does look good, but I think that we need to talk about like the dark side. Um, of sobriety, and why sometimes it 's not just an option for people, like people need to get sober because it is a matter of life and death, not because you want to lose weight, not because you um, you know you, you want to be happy or some people are miserable and they need sobriety to even be okay so that 's what allowed me to touch on um, to um, that 's what basically influenced me to create a black Girls Club. Mm.
0: Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that you're absolutely right. It's like, it's hard to step back in. I think sometimes when you get sober, you like do feel a lot better, but like there's so much mental health issues surrounding, surrounding it from the beginning. And it's not like just when you get sober, the you're like magically, you know, like you never have a negative thought again, you know, I mean, constantly having to do the the mental work and of course the sobriety supports that um thank you for sharing all of that so would you so when you were moved back home with your parents and had um were, you know didn't have your job would you say a lot of that was from the cause of alcohol definitely. depression mm-hmm. yeah
1: definitely when I drink like I, I don't I I guess I was a functioning alcoholic when I was in law school in college, but I didn't know that because people in school, they drink, we drink, it is what it is. Um, so I, I I don't, when people ask me like, when did I realize, I think I realized it in 2018, but looking back at my practices and how I used to act, like back in the day, I would be able to drink, at, uh, at like, drink maybe like the whole day and then wake up the next morning. I was a waitress at a hotel. I'm actually looking at the hotel I used to be a waitress at. Um, and I I worked the morning shifts, so it was nothing for me to get up at five. But now that wasn't happening, so I would be mm-hmm. drinking after work, and then wake up. It's like eight o'clock, and I um I live in Staten Island. My job at that time was in Manhattan, so I can't just go get into Manhattan like 20 minutes. Like no, <laughs> like I need to take a ferry. I need to do this. I need to do that. So definitely because. The how al- because the effects of alcohol was making me very tired, it was making me very lazy, depressed. Um, it wasn't it, the effects in, on me that I had in 2017, 2018, was not the same effects it had on me when I was in college and law school. It, it was different and it's weird to explain, but I think also the depression had a lot to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I later found out that I do have like OCD and I just had this really uh, weird obsession with being perfect, looking perfect um like like earlier today I was like okay are we gonna be on video because then I have to put on like a full face of make like it's just I've always had this um generalization or just like this need to always like want to help people and just basically paint this picture this unrealistic like stupid picture uh of just perfection basically and um I think that me moving back to New York and just having like that nine to five job where I was also helping people. Like I was, I'm an attorney. That's what I, that's what I do. I help folks. Um, I think that it just allowed me to realize that I didn't like myself the way I thought I did, because the truth Mm -hmm. is I don't need a lot of people to be around. I, no one should need a lot of people to be around them Mm -hmm. all the time for them to feel stable for them to feel um okay with themselves life is very temporary things change all of the time like oh two weeks ago i was just talking to some um For like, since we've been on quarantine, I was just talking to some girl. I like we were kicking, we were hitting it off. We were great. Everything just was flowing. Then something happened and now we don't talk. And it's just like, that is life. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that community is important, but I also feel like we have to understand that life is always, our situations are always temporary. Things are are always changing. You have to learn how to adapt. And because I didn't like myself, I didn't know myself, I didn't know how to adapt because I could have easily just went and joined a bunch of clubs. I could have, I could have made a, a schedule, um, work nine to five, maybe go soul cycling after Like I could have, there's so much to do in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was just me not being okay with myself and realizing that I didn't like who I was.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually doing, um, A series on the show right now called uh, 40 days to freedom a sacred journey of the self because I really talk about you know the act of elk like you can't just solve the problem of alcohol by just simply not drinking (laughs) that it is that look and that reflection inward and really having to face the shadows um, of reality and it doesn't mean we have to dwell on the past but it is confronting it right and so becoming Becoming really familiar with who you are on the inside because, yeah, I'm just so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Um, I think that that's just such a beautiful, a beautiful point to the journey is like the, the external support is awesome to know that you're not alone. But ultimately, like we have to be able to trust ourselves um, at the end of the day. So Um, I had, I was, I wish I would have wrote it down because I was thinking about it. Oh, so tell me a little bit about your journey, um, into sobriety, even, um, you know, I know that you started the club, but while you were like searching for other things and how long that lasted and what that looked like for you through your process.
1: Okay. So, um, I just knew that I wanted to get, again, me not knowing much about alcoholism, me not knowing a lot about sobriety, I just thought like, well, you know, if I do A, B, and C, these things have proved to help people overcome addiction, then I'll be fine. And I literally thought it would be easy for me to stop drinking. Like, that's how naive I was. That's how I'm naive a lot of, especially in the Black community, our folks don't, well, now we're getting better with mental health, but we don't really address these issues. We don't seek therapists. We don't like go to rehab. When I finally, my parents didn't see me for three weeks and they were like, where were you? And I didn't tell them at that point. I told them maybe a month later, like I was in rehab. I I told you guys I had a problem, but they didn't really believe me or take it seriously. And they were just shocked that I myself, um, check myself into a rehab but that's how desperate I was to get better not knowing that like yeah rehab is cool outpatient is cool but it really starts and begins starts and ends with me but before mm-hmm. I realized and I hit that I came to that realization I did go to AA I remember I was at my first AA meeting um and I just want to say there's a reason why like AAs and rehabs are um are are basically full of white people it's not because black folks don't have these addictions or these problems um we just don't really have the resources or the tools and some f- to to address them to fix them like i didn't know anything about AA. i've never i didn't even hear about AA until to someone after we have told me about it come to find out AA has been here since 1936. Mm-hmm. so um I remember I went to my first AA meeting. I was literally the only black person there. And it's just my body, like, why am I the only black person here? What is it? But that's that's another conversation. I remember the speaker, and this was my first and not last, because I do go to AA now, but it's not for, I don't do the steps or anything, I just go to hang out with other sober folks of color. Um, I did find a... I did find like a mixed, you know, now because everything is coming out, like now they're making AA more um, diverse and they're allowing, now AA is allowing uh, people to form groups just dedicated to uh, Black and or mixed women before they weren't do, doing that. Mm-hmm. But that's another conversation. Um, I remember the speaker said... <laughs> You know, I was, she basically was giving, telling her story. She said, you know, I was drinking. Um, I was, at that time, I was very miserable. I lived in a community that I hated. I just felt disgusted. Um, and people were like were laughing because the way she said it was kind of funny. And I thought it was kind of funny, too. And she was like, yeah, I was I was living in Marines Harbor. Mary, I live in Marines Harbor. What the hell is disgusting about Marines Ta- like, It was just the most weirdest comment I've ever heard because I, like, and I don't judge people who live in the projects or the hood. I, my parents, we used to live there. You know, they were immigrants. They worked their stuff their way up. Now we have a house in a nice mixed community. And the fact that she uttered like my community's name mm-hmm. out of her mouth in a way that she was so disgusted. Um, just said everything that I needed to know about AA. And I'm not saying all AA, but I just think that like, can we be realistic? Can we be honest with ourselves that this group was formed um, at a time where discrimination and racism was at an ultimate high? Like, come on, like, hello, hello. we literally just left. um, uh, When you look at the timeline between slavery and Jim Crow, and the civil rights movement it's it's hello we're like maybe 50 years removed we have great great grandparents who were sharecroppers mm-hmm. so how naive can i be to think that this group um regardless of its intention and regardless of uh, i guess like its intention isn't gonna have some sort of like classism racism discrimination elitism mm-hmm of course it's going to have it. And I was just so turned off because that comment just, it just turned me off and I i never went back to that group. Um, I did do rehab again. Um, it didn't work. I actually left rehab uh, thinking I was an alcoholic. Beca- and I'll say this, and this is why it's so important that we tackle the disparities. It's so important, Mary. Like I went to rehab. Um, it was full of, the patients, all the patients that are in my group, I think it was like 20, 20 of us, I was the only Black person there. Mm-hmm. And they were t- telling me about drugs that I've never heard, but that sounded, that sounded so good. They were telling me about like Molly and Oxy. And yes, Black and brown folks do do more than weed and alcohol. But generally, what we, what we, you know, what we use is basically weed, alcohol, coke. I think, like, statistics have showed that. I'm not, I don't like the whole opioid thing it's not a Black people thing. I have met girls through um, Super Girls Club who their problems are with opioids. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Because mm-hmm. there are few, but I have to acknowledge that they do exist. Mm-hmm. But while in rehab, they were telling me about Xanax, things that I've never heard of um, they were glorifying it. And when I looked at my life, oh, I just have, you know, a problem with alcohol. I'm not that bad. Alcohol is legal. They're doing, they're, they're abusing like heroin, coke, uh, meth, all the stuff that I don't really know anything about. Excuse me. But I left rehab. I literally left rehab and I went to, to a bar. I did not think I was an alcoholic after leaving Leaving rehab because when I compared myself to the people I was with, I was like, you know, I can't have a problem. To make matters worse, um, the director of the center, because you know she knew I was an attorney and blah blah blah, she used me for study. So she would have these med students who were doing like rotations and like mental health substance abuse. She was like, well, do you mind if they if you come into our sessions and they talk to you, interview you. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, it was, it, it was a joke. It, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was the only thing about rehab that I appreciated was that I had 28 days away from alcohol. So mm-hmm. I, I gave my body a break. But other than that, it was the biggest joke ever. And I understand why people don't go to rehab. I, I get it. Like I get why people don't want to do that. So after that, I went back to drinking because again, I left rehab and I did not think I had a problem. (laughs) I was like, no, these people have a problem. I'm okay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And again, that's why representation is so important because I didn't see anyone there who who looked like me, um, who was going through this uh, this the same problem. So I was just like, you know, I was like, I didn't have a problem. Mm -hmm. So I went back um, home, started drinking, doing what I was doing before again, working diem, Uh, then I think in July, I believe of that year, I literally got really drunk. Um, I got so drunk. I remember I woke up naked in my parents' bed and they were so shocked and hurt that I knew at that moment, like, okay, Katie, you you have a problem like it's just you can't even deny it's not even like maybe you have a problem maybe you don't and at this point my problem is terrorizing my family like my little sister saw me there and she was like crying like she thought I was dead Mm. and that's when I decided like okay I have to get serious and I have to do the work um yeah and so that that was the journey and maybe you know six seven months later I came to a realization that I am the work, like Mm -hmm. going to outpatient is cool. And I still go, um, you know, they, I graduated, but I like my therapist there. So they allow me to still, um, get therapy sessions from her, but that was cool. But, you know, I don't need anyone to tell me that I'm coping with alcohol. I already know that. Mm -hmm. Why do I feel like I have to cope with alcohol and that they don't teach you, um, like, they don't, they don't get into that nitty gritty and outpatient and we have, everything is just very surface, like into the book. And then you're, you're, you're talking to people who don't who've never even had the addiction. You're just, you you just went to school or in, yeah, you basically just went to school, read a couple of books, passed what you had to pass. And now here you know, you're trying to help me get rid of this problem. To me, that does not work. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, that is, I am so glad that you brought all of that up, the the disparity and the discrepancies of support um, and really having, it sounds like you really kind of were like on your own, essentially looking for support. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit and thank you so much and I definitely wanna like kind of circle back around to that because there's so much there. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about growing up. In was alcohol present in your home when you were growing
1: up, Mary? No, and that's why I tell you this journey is really one of self. Mm. Um, because no, I grew up from I grew up in a very strict African Muslim home. I am Muslim. Um, I, you know, we went to school. We went to Catholic school. Then after, after school was over at three o'clock, we would go straight to the mosque and we would stay there for the evenings to read the Quran. Sunday, we were in Sunday school. Like my life has always revolved around God. And it, even now to this day, it does revolve around God, but I also have learned the importance of me and I've learned the importance of like my ancestors and I've learned the importance of like angels and, God, and um, spirit guides and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Um, but no, alcohol was never present. However, I think that I did endure a couple, like some traumatizing things as a kid. That when I went off to college and I, um, I taste. I remember like my first time having alcohol. I was like, okay, this is amazing. Like you're just living another world. It, it mm-hmm. takes you out of reality. Um, and it was just one of the most amazing feelings ever, but growing up, I didn't have my first drink until
0: 18 when I went to college.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So when you were living, when you say you were like living another world, what do you think you were, you, did you feel like you were like escaping from a reality that just, you know, maybe being with your parents and just kind of being free for the first time from not saying your 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 childhood was bad in any way but like did it feel just more freedom like as like an independent person
1: definitely definitely yeah, yeah it felt it felt good it felt like my me and my parents now that I'm older we have a better relationship but we used to have a horrible relationship growing up because I don't do well with authority at all <laughs> like I do <don't>, I <laughs> don't do well with that, so they, you know, uh, we used to go at it, like, go at it, um, it it was, it was pretty traumatizing when I think about it, Um, so yeah, as soon as I, I felt like an adult, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted, and just, it just, you know, you drink, and then you you forget about all your problems, or everything that ever happened to you in the past, and I am, like, a, a a grade. Another grade. I am a book. Like if you read a book and you see the description of a cancer, you're gonna see me as an example. Like I do. um I am sensitive. I am emotional, and I used to think it was a bad thing, but now I know it's not a bad thing at all. It's 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 okay to um to value your feelings. It's okay to like value your relationships. It's okay to to be expressive expressive in who you are. And I think that a lot of my childhood, like my parents and society basically always try to suppress that mm-hmm. like they always try um you know okay you take things too, you take things too serious why can't you just be kind with your words why t- t- why am I taking things too serious why can't you just say things um say what you have to say but say respectfully or you know in, in nicely um and that's uh, yeah so the growing up i I. Basically um, we're around people who always try to suppress who I truly was um, as a person, and now I didn't have to like live in that world that I, I once was. Now I was free to be who I was, but at the you know going full circle, then alcohol, because uh, I, I abused it um, made me forget who I was and it took me it took away who I was and my get my natural gifts and talent. It took it away for some time, but now I'm slowly getting back to the things that I know like, are meant for me.
0: Beautiful. So it's your sun time right now, cancer time, huh?
1: Yeah, I love it. I'm so happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. The emotional waters on my over here are like pretty intense. (laughs) I just, like it's good though. I'm so, so that what you just said is so, I feel like, I feel like a lot of really independent people end up like finding their independence through alcohol sometimes because it does give you that Illusion of freedom initially, and that so many people say heard so many people say alcohol helps me be more of myself. I can relax more. I can you know be more expressive. I can be more who I am because for so long, be whether it's your family, society, you know whatever it was, felt like you couldn't have that that expression. So, but yes, at the same time, it's also taking you kind of further away because it is that illusion instead of working. In that place of just being with who you are and your emotion but if you don't have the framework um, of emotional health and mental health which like is becoming so much more prevalent hopefully in you know in society as far as um, tools for emotional support um, that you know now hopefully people are learning that from a younger age but it sounds so in your family when it came to you know, help, you know, support with issues or emotional things? Or was it kind of to like a turn to God or just like giving it all up to God kind of if you were have facing or struggling with something? Did you feel like you didn't have the support from your parents necessarily um, to talk to them about whatever you were facing? uh
1: definitely um and that's just not even everything is like talk to god you're single talk to god, Sorry, I have to talk to god. right <laughs> you're single pray for a husband
0: mm-hmm.
1: um even in like and again and, but it's not just my parents it's this is prevalent a lot in the black community yeah. it's, and it, it has and i understand our fear of doctors that's another issue mm-hmm. and that's why i think that we're dismantling the criminal justice system great we have to understand that this whole country was built on racism, so criminal justice is just one aspect. We need to also fix our public health systems. There were a time where doctors were making Black folks sick on purpose to test vaccines. I understand, and that's just one. We're constantly misdiagnosed. At one point, um, I remember um, I remember when I was like really far down, so I wasn't even brushing my teeth. I wasn't like wearing makeup, I wasn't doing my hair, I looked like a mess. And my doc, and my therapist at that time, um, not a therapist, I think it's a psychologist, whoever prescribes medicine, those type of doctors, mm-hmm. uh, she she said I was bipolar. And I was looking at her like, I've never ever heard that I was bipolar. And maybe a month later, I mean, not a month, a year later, I saw another doctor and I told her what that doctor said. And she was like, well, how long were you working with that doctor for? And I said um, it was just that one day when she said I was bipolar. I never went back. And then she was like, "Wait, she diagnosed you with bipolarism," and she only met you once. And I was like, "Yes." And she was like, "That is awful. Like she should have um, monitored you, had multiple sessions before she gave you that di- diagnosis." All, like she was basically push, pushing pills on me. She was mm-hmm. telling me I wasn't going to be able to get sober on my own. That I had to take a Vivitrol. Like I understand black folks' fear of doctors because I constantly get mistreated mm. um, n- not not now, but during that time of me being depressed and not taking really you know good care of myself the, they treated me horrible mm. now when I go to doctor's office, you know they they treat me with the stuff, and it shouldn't be like that. I could literally be a bum on the street, but if I need your help, mm-hmm. then you should have the same level of respect that you will have for someone sleeping on the street the same level of respect that you would have with a lawyer or a doctor my mm-hmm. profession the way i look to make you feel comfortable shouldn't be the basis on which you treat me mm-hmm. so i get that uh, my community is we don't trust doctors i know i don't trust doctors after that experience because when i was at my lowest they judged they judged me when i needed them the most i was constantly judged mm-hmm. um so I get it. So yes, you know, God, great. Like, I I, I get it. I get it. But it's gonna take more. I, I you know, faith without work is dead. You know, I don't think I before my life was going perfectly before um, you know, the breakup and then alcoholism. But I think that everything happens for a reason. I, I think that God did that purposefully because you know what I was living a very vain life I was at that point I was only really concerned with looking good 24 7 being in the gym I was only really concerned with like making money and having a nice car and living in a luxury apartment and putting it on Instagram my life had became very shallow mm-hmm. and to be honest without alcoholism I don't think i would have been any better like i think i would have still been that person because life was good but i do believe that god said get ready because you're about to go on for a ride mm-hmm. and through that experience through the experience of 2017 to 2019 um i realized that there is more to life than me um mm-hmm. and and things other things besides me and 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 materialistic stuff matter. So um, I think that everything happens for a reason. And I do believe in God and I love God. But um, I think even in our group now on Facebook, this one, real quick, I'll tell you this one little story. One of our members, um, she said, I guess like another member had put in the group that she was struggling. And one of our older members, and she's older, our crowd is usually, our members generally are from like 18 to maybe mid-30s or something but this woman is a, a she wasn't her elder I don't know how old she is but she was older than the rest of us. I know that and she her answer was pray to God the answer said something like oh pray to God I was an alcoholic for 40 years and then God made it disappear sis does that even make any sense why would God want you to be an alcoholic for 40 years and then made it disappear? No, that's not how it works. Yes, pray to God. I'm not saying that, but praying mm-hmm. to God is not the only, the only it's not the only solution. You have to do the work. You have to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. And you just admitting that you were an alcoholic for 40 years, now you're saying God one day said, took it away from you? Sis. No, that's not, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Like that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. um, but it's just this mentality that in our community, just pray to God. It, it's 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 oh, yeah, it's it's sad.
0: <laughs> Do you think that you would say there was a point of kind of finding divinity inside of yourself and searching for that sacred part of who you are were like to get in more in touch with that? Definitely.
1: It's- Sorry, were you saying something?
0: Oh, so, yeah. Just because I, for for me personally, I find that that was like the connection to God or spirit was, you know, praying in that way, knowing that there is this essence of 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 a greater consciousness, bigger, but that that is also the reflection inside of myself, and like having to dig deep inside, and it seems like that was the work that you had to really do was to like shift like everything that you knew to know like I've got to go find this I got to go find this inside um but I think personally like ultimately that is the divinity as well like it's the same thing um but yeah I would love to know what your kind of your the pivot point was for you um when you finally like kind of felt like you were coming out through the other side of it um or um you know when 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 the forces on the outside medical treatment and outpatient wasn't kind of doing it did it seem like it was the one-on-one work that helped a little bit more or what was the what was like the kind of the clincher that really settled for you that you were able to um to hold on to and continue to show up to do the work for yourself
1: all right well i'll say too i remember so there's this book called the four agreements um by yes i love that Um, book right so I read that book in high school but it didn't resonate until um when again I was going to outpatient I was going to AA but I was really still unhappy like I just it just it it wasn't like I I I knew and understood that I don't have the answers now but this isn't it (laughs) like this is not going to it may help me not drink but it's not going to help me feel good about who I am or get to know me better this is just not it so I remember I read that book again I remember um I went to the library and I read that book like in one day because I everything that they were even saying just made so much sense mm-hmm. it really does make so much sense um you know the reason why I'm so miserable well I was miserable because I cared about what People thought about me what people what, how people saw me and even though even though um you know I people always shouting with compliments whether it was what I was wearing that day or something I said in a meeting um I, how much more assurance of people do I need but mm-hmm. I realized that again through reading that book that I had been brainwashed um into thinking that what people care think about how people see me really matters and it doesn't i was brainwashed to taking things personally not understanding that people do things based on how they are feeling like you can be the most beautiful person in the world but let's say if i'm having a bad day and you maybe stuck my toe and i'm like hello, I I might call you a name, ugly, something like that. Does that really mean you're ugly? No. Mm -hmm. But I use that word because I'm upset. I was having a bad day and I want to make you upset. I want to like create more pain for you. Um, So that, and that's that's only two of the agreements, but those are the two agreements that really stuck, uh, that I actually, no, I even love the first agreement of, um, uh, what do you call it? I forgot what the first agreement was, but basically it's making sure that you understand that your words our words are spells Mm -hmm. and they have meaning and how we talk to people again says a lot about how we see ourselves but also just knowing that our words are very powerful so when we say something we need to mean it it needs to be honest it needs to be true it needs to be kind again when i i remember i remember i was reading that book and i'm and i after me reading that book i used to take note of things that i said Half of the time, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even go to the, the third prong. Half of the time, I was embellishing something; it wasn't even true. So again, okay. me s- embellishing to make myself look good. Again, it just it just re really reiterated that I had a problem with myself. I had very low self esteem. I didn't know who I was, and that's what where the issue came from i drink like to get drunk because then i am not in my body i don't have to Mm -hmm. i don't have to be present i don't have to think about like the past i don't have to think about blah 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 i'm just in another realm in another world so me reading that book was like wow i know that i have to do healing work like Mm -hmm. i know now that I have to do healing. Um, I have to heal whatever. I have to unlearn all the stuff that I learned. I have to fix um, all the all the ideologies and the thoughts that I had of society of life. Even the other day, and I'm still working. I'm still healing. I'm still going through it. Even the other day, I was talking to my friend, and she was like, "Katie, honestly." I don't know anyone who has as much rules as you do. And I started laughing because Mary, she's right. I literally have like, um, like she, she is so, she is so right. Like you'll tell me something. like I don't know, we were talking about some guy she's dating. And I was like, oh, well I will never ever date blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Katie, okay, that's, every time you say a rule, I'm going to be like, okay, that's another one of your rules." He's Right. I, I do have rules. I do have rules. And I'm, you know, I'm slowly trying to come away from that, but she is definitely right. So I'm still going through it. So that was one, that was one, um, I guess that was a starting point of like, okay, outpatient is cool. I'm still going to go. And I still do go because, you know, I want to help other girls all that good stuff but I know that my work is more inner work and I need to focus on what it is that um I need to focus on me basically and not all these you know sitting in groups and talking to uh, other. that's Mm -hmm. cool but my work is deeper than that so that was one and then secondly I always um you know people be like oh heal." he I used to hate Mary I used to hate hearing that Mm -hmm. because for me I, that's why I went to rehab, that's why I went to patient. Just tell me what I have to do to stop drinking and then I'll do it. Like, I I like rules, I like, I don't like authority, but if something has worked for you, tell me and I'll do it. I think in like the social media realm, like on Instagram and Twitter, people just said healing, healing, healing. What is healing? (laughs) No one one ever could tell me what is, what does that even mean? But I came to, um, for me, what healing meant. And I think it's so crazy because it's something, and I think I told you, it's something that I dreaded doing. I remember, um, you know, uh, this new, we used to journal as kids, but journaling, I used to journal a lot as kids, but my parents used to always read my my diary, so I stopped doing it. Um, But... I had a lot of resentment towards journaling and I didn't understand why, but I knew anytime like you're scared to do something then you probably should do it. Like Mm -hmm. for a year or two, I just did not want to write. And people people kept on telling me like writing is therapeutic. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it. And I was so scared to write. Oh my gosh. I remember that day I just sat down and I just wrote everything that was in my mind. And I just started crying. Mm-hmm. i just started bawling because again when you think about stuff when you put stuff when you keep things in your head like especially me i'm busy working with other girls i can easily just forget about my problems and focus on someone else's problems i can easily just turn on hbo and watch like the wire or the cheat and get inspir- inspired and you know forget about what was bothering me mm-hmm. but when you put your problems on paper and you acknowledge What you're feeling, why you're feeling the way you're feeling, um, it's a it's a game changer because it's like you're accepting, you are accepting your 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 situation, your past, whatever it is that has like caused you pain or or whatever, you are accepting it and you're giving acknowledgement to it, and that is very freeing. Mm -hmm. So definitely, what I something that I do want to incorporate with Super Black Girls Club is like a journaling. component i don't think i have a lot of experience and now for me to do it but i think that like i you know people work out great i think that journaling um is very therapeutic and i think that a lot of times we go through stuff and we just want to keep it to ourselves we don't want to share it we don't want to like tell people about it but there's just so much power in putting it down in words and acknowledging your feelings and, and giving it validation.
0: Mm. Yes, to all of that. Thank you so much. There's so much there. Oh my gosh, I definitely want to talk about the four agreements like at a different time. Like there's so much there. But I love the thing I love about the four agreements is that it's like universal truths. Mm-hmm. um that can really be i really think regardless of your spirituality or, or religion you can really look at them and, and and take something away from that if you're willing to you know that a lot of people don't want to think that like don't take anything personally is really hard for people so congratulations on leaning into that but um i loved what you said about it, it's easy it would be easy for me to turn on something and get inspired rather than do the work to look, you know, and forget about what was bothering me, because I think that that's such a, like, a trendy kind of, um, you know, these, like, artsy affirmations or whatever, and it's like, okay, an affirmation is great to remind yourself of what you really do believe when you're in your, that state of your highest self, but until you really look at the thoughts that you have on repeat in your brain, they will never change. And that affirmation will never become real, a real belief until you switch it. So I really thank you so much for pointing that out. Like affirmations, inspiration is great, but it's not going to solve the problem. Right. So I think that's awesome you have and I just want to say like if you've already done the work journaling you've got the information to give to the ladies um right. in your club because it, you have there, there was just so much knowledge that you gave out right there there was a lot there so I'm excited to go back and listen to him for you to listen to it too because um the that um I love in that point of what is the healing? I really want to answer that question for myself too. like what is that work? And um so would you say in retrospect that that healing is going into just like look at your own mind?
1: Uh Mary, yes. And um, before I get into like I get into that, like that's my problem with um Instagram and you know, I <laughs> um quote-unquote workers," which I appreciate and I think they're very necessary, but what doesn't sit right with me is that like a lot of, especially young girls, you know, they're gonna buy your crystals, they're gonna buy your, um, your reading cards, they're gonna buy your incense, they're gonna, you know, I, I at a point, I thought that, that that's what I needed to do, I just needed to pray, I needed to meditate, I needed to, um, to, you know, meditate, hold my, you know, get different... Uh, crystals which i loved but mm-hmm. na- but th- at that time it didn't do anything for me because you know that wasn't the problem like i already had so much light um i already i already understood what what light was i already understood what being happy um, looks like. I, I understood all that stuff, but I just spent my lifetime trying to get away from the darkness, from my shadow, trying to get away from from things that were really bothering me, um, and I just want people, that's my whole, I just, you know, there's this new wave of Instagram, uh, what do you call it, it's like spiritual influencers, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, can you just stop? Like, stop tricking <gasps> people into believing that this is going to help them. It will at one point, but sis, that crystal is not going to make you any less depressed. Like, that's not, it's not. It doesn't work like that. Um, so I'm
0: sorry. Well, I just wanted to get that out there because. Oh, uh, thank you for saying that. Because I, I really think that, you know, I love ritual work myself. And I think that some of the devotional practices can, like in really crappy times where you're like in despair, but you, you know, you're already, you've been on both sides of it and it's just a shitty day. And you're like something I love to do is chant. So like I like, or I would like pray the rosary or whatever. And that does kind of bring me back home. Like it doesn't take me away from my negative feelings, but it does remind me of like, what my tether is, like, that this work is important, like, all of it does mean something, like, sometimes you just need that devotional reminder, but, yeah, unless you've already, like, been in the depths of despair, (laughs) like, that is not going to really do much for you, so, um, no, I think it's amazing to point that out, because, yes, we need to do, like, we're seeing it in the world so blatantly right now that, like, the work of the shadow, the work of the conditioned mind, and it's like the reason people don't want to look at it, and I was curious about this um, maybe in your family or in the Black community, and I mean, I think all people of the conditioned mind, like a lot of clients I work with, it's like once you look at it and name it, then people think, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean about me now? Like, it people make like looking at their relationship with alcohol means so many things about them because of the stigma that's in society when like your worth cannot be created nor destroyed as far as I'm concerned so by looking at your relationship with alcohol is your acknowledgement that you are worthy not that you're less than um and so I was just wondering as far as like what you your experience is as far as like mental health or talking about emotional awareness or even talking about alcoholism or the negative effects of alcohol in the black community do you think that that creates another a stigma of like um I, i'm just curious what what do you think that the that the drawback is there from acknowledgement of that
1: um i think i think there's a lot of many things yeah. to Try to. I will try to get through it as fast as I can. I think that one, um, our distrust, well, not before I get into that, Um, I I say that it's easier to like come home after like a rough day um, at work. It's easier to come home after a rough day at work and get a a bottle of wine and drink a bottle of wine and go to sleep than to try to look for a therapist and now we're trying to like a lot of people are trying to my therapist right now is a black woman it took me a long time to find her and you know some may say why does you know why does she have to be black why does she have to be a woman representation matters when you see people who look like you from your community doing positive things it inspires you i already know people um can get sober i already know that people can live happy lives now if I can meet a person who grew up from my neighborhood and went to the same exact things, and that they're living a sober, healthy life, then let's do it. But at the same time, there are not that many Black therapists, and then we want to say why. Well, we have to then address, we have to go back to the, our education system. We have to go back to um our public health system, our criminal justice like reform. Black women are some of the most well at this point today. Black women are is a demographic, excuse me, that has the most degrees that, that holds the most degrees. And I when I read that and I like okay cool. I'm not happy to read stuff like that because you know what? I didn't go to law school because I wanted to be a lawyer. I went. I actually went to law school because i felt like it was you know the it was a career i wanted to have that would look, make me look good again me feeling pressured by society why can't i just go in to do something that i want to do um like if, if why can't being a teacher be enough why can't being being a business owner is enough so before we like even get to touch on why there are not that many black doctors and black like therapists it's not because black people are dumb we have to like really again assess our 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 economic status our um you know can we afford to go to law school can we afford to be doctors um just to even go into medical school so that's one i just again we talked about it before our Mm -hmm. distrust of like doctors and it's a real thing and that story that i told you was just one story Mm -hmm. of the mistrust that i have of the of the doctors and i try to um keep my doctors and my therapists black, because when they weren't black, um, and I was at a really bad space where I needed them the most, they let me down miserably. And it it had a lot to do with how I look. And I'm not the only, like, it it, it is what it is. So that's one. I think that it's just easier for black folks to, um, you know, drink a bottle, then have to go through all the trouble of finding a therapist they, they can relate to secondly i think it's also like the stigma we don't want to be called crazy mm-hmm. um mary when i tell you when i tell you growing up i've always been um like i've always been very i not i guess like you know I, I, when i grew up i kind of wanted to be an ambassador then i wanted to be a cop Like i've always been uh, like a, a person for for the community for our, our people, and um, I remember I spoke to my high school president, my high school principal, the other day, and she was like, "Katie, you've always been doing the work like caring for your community. That has never, never, never changed." When I used to like pinpoint, I went on Facebook and I really, I told I told um, the reason why me my principal and I had spoken because I, I wrote a Facebook post about something racist that happened in um, high school and how I was very really triggered. this day about it and it was wrong even though i love the school i love the principal what happened was so racist and it was absolutely disgusting um and now looking back they all agree that it was wrong blah 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 but mary people would look at me and say that i was crazy i'm just angry you know i'm loud blah 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 now Everyone is like, "Oh racism still is this. it is this like you, you you all have been living in this, this bubble and I don't even understand why, but whatever reason you've been living in this bubble, now that everything is coming out, now people are like, oh Katie, you were right. Oh, when that happened, yeah. And again, it's like when you're black and when you're a woman, you're, and you're, you have an opinion. Mm. And you're you're smart, whether it's because you're educated by like the system at school, or you're just naturally like educated doing your own research. People want to label you in a way that makes you feel and look crazy.
0: Mm.
1: And it's the same thing with admitting that you have a drinking problem or an alcohol. You're scared that society is going to say, you know what, she's crazy. She needs to like work on herself, blah, blah, blah. Because anything and everything that black women do, we get labeled as crazy. Like this is what it is. Like anything, you're crazy. You're nuts. Oh, do you have to like be so loud? What does me being loud have to do with you acknowledging that what you did was wrong? Like don't, don't don't talk about how I reacted, talk about what you did to make me react this way. Um, but it's it's just this long stigma, especially when you're a woman, a black woman. And uh, when you're a white woman, I'm pretty sure it's bad. Like we see these, um, we know these stories of like several, like uh, what do you call it? Leaders in the in the women's movement, they got called crazy. Now imagine being mm-hmm. a woman in black. Like it's, it's, you're crazy times 10. Mm-hmm. If, I, if, I to, if I can, only if God has had sorry, only if God like shock every time someone called me crazy, like I could tell you, but I don't I am pretty sure it was probably more than a million times. So I, I get it. I get the fear of like people just not wanting to be labeled as crazy. Um also like the when you admit that you have a problem, now you have to do something about it. However, when you you know probably are working nine to nine maybe you're a single mom, maybe you're a single parent, Um, maybe you have, like, you know, you have five kids, you have to focus on them, sobriety takes work, so, and, and and we don't know, like, when you're, when you first acknowledge you have a problem, you don't know what to do, you're just gonna do whatever it is that you you heard people do, you're gonna try to make it work, so regardless if it is going to AA, if it is going outpatient, if it is reading sober books, that takes time, Mm -hmm. and sometimes uh, not sometimes i see how hard especially black women work and i talk about black women because i spent my life around black women Mm -hmm. i know how hard i know how hard how they sorry how hard they work i understand how not only are they going my mom went to school had five uh five kids went back to nursing school just to be able to like bring more income into our um into our family my dad was like a, a taxi driver like they were working non-stop but i would go to my friend's house and like their parents were home after five they were going on vacations. they were going on trips for the black family it's very different and i just want and when i hear stuff like "Well, you know you could have done this you could have done that listen you like black people have been de- been behind and dragged for 400 years okay for 400 years it's not easy to it's not easy and and anyone to even think that after being deprived of liberties for 400 500 years that now we're going to become come on top like be CEOs make millions of dollars no we're starting and I again I just want people to understand our great-grandmothers were like um not slaves but like were, what do you call it, indentured servants, some of them were, some of them were, were share crops, like working on the crops, like, this is not too long ago, mm-hmm. so we, we have a lot of work to do to catch up, to, so our parents, like, you know how bad I feel that, like, I'm, as a lawyer, not working, um, because, you know, the offices are closed, the court systems are clo- closed, but, like, talking to my parents, and they're working, it, it, it hurts my heart so bad, because it's just, like, they should be resting, I should be working, but they but because they are essential workers and they didn't have the luxury of um, of like becoming a doctor, uh, becoming a doctor when they were 25, 24. Like no, they came they came into their profession, not my dad is a too two, when they were like 40, 50 years old because it took them some time to come to them America, get some acquire some type of like wealth and now they can go back to school and, and live out the lives that they they want to live. Um, sorry, I, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but, um, yeah, so I think that we, uh, the structure of our, of our lives, like a lot of people in the AA meetings that I used to go to, they had nine to five jobs. A lot of black people I know do not have nine to five jobs. Like mm-hmm. that's, just, it's just not, it's not something that they have. Like they work tirelessly they have multiple jobs. Um, it's just, you know, it's just what it is trying to catch up for the time that we have been deprived. Um, I was going to say one more thing, but I kind of forgot. Um, okay, and I think another thing is just we don't understand. And this is my, this is like the biggest thing for me. And this is why um, I used to be so embarrassed. My mom sometimes is like, Katie, hey, do you got to tell people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, I need, I need Black and brown girls to understand what alcoholism looks like because mm-hmm. we don't see it every day. So I need to share them. I need to share with them, my story, I need them to understand that, like, just because just because you're not a bum and you haven't washed you know, all of your all, all of the things that you've acquired, doesn't mean you're not an alcoholic. A lot of times, alcoholism looks we're, we're functional. Like, we are very functional. We can do it all, and that's what it is. That's how it, it looks. And a lot, because honestly, a lot of the members of the Black Ops clubs, they're nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're nurses, they're doctors, they're lawyers. Um, they are women, and I'm not surprised because, like I said, like black women is is the group that has hold the most degrees because we, we again I feel like we have to always overextend ourselves. So I'm not surprised that they have all these professions. But it's taken them a while for them to even acknowledge that they might have a problem because they think, and like I used to think this too. If I went to law school and I passed the ball on the first time. How can I be an alcoholic? Sis, that has nothing to do with it. Like you, you going to law school, you going to to be a doctor, you doing that, you're, you're worth more than your degrees.
0: Katie, I wanted to thank you again so much for being on the show. Our interview got cut off a little early. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I wanted to make sure that our listeners know exactly where to find out more about the amazing work that. Katie's doing in the world. It is soberblackgirlsclub.com and the same handle at Instagram. And so if you need support in with the work that Katie's doing, please um, go out and find her. She is so amazing. She helps her her group seek resources and find mentors. And she has um, a weekly meeting. And um, one of the things that Um, I helped contribute to through the, um, through raising some funding through teaching yoga was um, supporting mothers and families for food relief through COVID Um, when people were, you know, struggling at first to help get um, their unemployment insurance and all of that stuff. So um, I am just so grateful for this, this really wide eyed view of looking at just a new perspective of the challenges another set of challenges faced by black and brown women for really helping support finding and seeking support for overcoming um, their relationship with alcohol. And so Katie does help support just as well as I do women that are not just not drinking, um, but sober curious because that is part of the process. It like she said, is starting to unravel. What's really going on inside your head? And sometimes it's so terrifying to really just start to look at that process, but it is the only way to get to the root of why am I drinking? And the root of why you're drinking are the thoughts about your life. And so when you start to see the thoughts about, who you are, what you feel like about your worth, what you think that you should be, who you think you are, or fears that you have. You can see how they're creating negative emotions and how you're wanting to get rid of those negative emotions and numb them by drinking. But then in the end, that's just really exacerbating the process of alcohol. And the alcohol is never the solution to the problem. It is about the self and Katie really express that beautifully on the show. So thank you so much. I'm thrilled that you all were here. I hope that you got so much information out of that. Check the show notes, check out the four agreements. And if you haven't already come to the website, marywagstaffcoach.com to get the free training, the five essential shifts, and then also signing up for an alignment session with me so that we can really just start to see that process of where your beliefs around alcohol are not in alignment with how you really want to show up in the world. And it's just this beautiful process of examining yourself. And the beautiful process doesn't always mean it feels great, but that is part of the work because alcohol will never give you the results that you really want in your life. And as many times as you make the excuse that this time might be different, it is never different. And you know, it's really just coming to that realization and coming to terms with the fact that you're just gonna keep chasing this desire that is ends up being empty. But once you say it out loud, once you have some accountability, once you write it down, it loses its power because now you can see it. Now it's not hiding in the subconscious. And so you start to follow those thoughts and the more you bring them into the light, the less power they have until they're eventually gone because you're rewriting that story for yourself every single day. I love you. You're amazing. You're beautiful. Thank you. Have a great day. The process of unraveling your story outside of the confines of alcohol is truly a sacred and beautiful journey of the self. Rediscover who you are and a whole new world again. Stop by my website, Mary Wagstaff Coach. to get instant access to the on-demand workshop of my revolutionary five shifts approach. And while you're there, you can sign up for a one-on-one consultation where we will create together your life intention. This is the framework for which all of your decisions around alcohol are made from your truest and highest self. In addition to working remotely worldwide, I host private one-on-one healing retreats at my sanctuary in Mount Hood, Oregon can't wait to get-